Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Right after I had my first daughter a couple years ago, my mom called me and she said, please don't tell me you're going to be one of those parents that doesn't tell your child no because I was recently around a couple and their kid and I was kind of getting the feeling that they weren't telling their daughter no. And then I really got the feeling that they weren't telling their daughter no when a friend of theirs said no to their child and they were turning purple and red and were angry and rushing in and approving of everything their daughter did. And it was quite the scene. And as soon as the parents left the room, the friends of the parents said, no, 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 you know, you're not supposed to say no in front of the baby. They don't tell her no. It was this whole scenario. My mom said, just bottom line, I don't know what your intention is, but please just make sure you use the word no with your children, to which I laughed very, very hard and said, I will use the word no. Now, I probably offended many parents who have intentionally not used the word no in their parenting, but there's a parenting style out there called gentle parenting. And I decided, you know what, let's talk about it. There are a lot of articles coming out everywhere from the New York Times, Psychology Today, discussing parenting trends and the fact that certain types of kids are more depressed today uh, than others, and it has to do with parenting styles. Joining me today is Dr. Leonard Sachs. He's a family physician, a PhD psychologist, and he's the author of two books, including Boys Adrift and The Collapse of Parenting, among many other books for parents. And we're going to discuss a little later on what's happening and why young men are unmotivated motivated today. I'll also discuss today on the show why a man wearing a swimsuit is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and we're going to discuss the former U.S. Marine Daniel Penny and his use of a chokehold to subdue a passenger on a subway and the whole debate surrounding that conversation and more. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Without further ado, to talk about what's wrong with gentle parenting is Dr. Leonard Sachs, again, a family physician and a PhD psychologist. Dr. Sachs, welcome back to Trending. Thanks for inviting me. Let's talk about gentle parenting. You know, we hear a lot of conversations today about no spanking, corporal punishment, yes or no, don't say no to my kid, make sure you don't either. I know for me personally, I'm not a big fan of kids, and it took me years to actually realize it's not that I dislike kids, it's that I dislike how kids have been parented and that they can't be told no today. So I want to talk about what is gentle parenting and What does the research say about it? What are your thoughts on this as a family physician who sees children and their behavior along with their parents? Well, let me start with a story uh, a patient I saw in the office um, uh, earlier this year. So mom brings in her six-year-old daughter. Her daughter is sick. She's got a fever. She's got a sore throat. And mom explains what's going on and explains her concerns and, and what her daughter's uh, symptoms are. And after I, she tells me the story, I say, okay, uh, time to take a look. And I go to the child and I say, okay, uh, got to open your mouth and say, ah. And daughter clenches her her teeth, her, cl- clenches her mouth shut 
and shakes her head no. And I say, uh, okay, mom, looks like uh, you're going to need to give me a hand here and uh, encourage your daughter to open her mouth and say, ah. And mom said, her body, her choice. <laughs> but okay, she brought her so, daughter to you, correct? As a physician. Yeah her, body, her, yeah, her body, her choice is a slogan of the abortion rights community, uh, uh, which has been adopted by the... Uh, anti-vaccine community, but here mom is using that slogan to defend her sick daughter's decision not to cooperate. That actually is gentle parenting. Uh, that Because gentle parenting, you never say no, you never command your child, you uh, can encourage them, but the decision is your child's, whether they're six or three or whatever. Uh, uh, anything else is coercive is a favorite term of uh, uh, proponents of uh, gentle parenting. You, you mustn't be co coercive or controlling, the, the two big no-nos of, of gentle parenting. So I've been a medical doctor now for, I've been a family doctor for 34 years. Uh, and this is new. This is something I wasn't seeing until really quite recently. Uh, I've always had parents always seen some parents who are incapable of, of uh, controlling their kid. I've mm -hmm. seen uh, kids who are disrespectful. I've seen a lot more kids who are disrespectful in the last 10 years. And that was a, a motivation in writing my book, The Collapse of Parenting, that parents now, many of them, uh, behave as if they are helpless, uh, mm -hmm. that their child's misbehavior is out of their control, uh, not only teenagers, but four-year-olds. But mm -hmm. this, this kind of aggressive permissiveness, where mom now uh, thinks it's virtuous to let her child be in charge, that's what's new. Mm. And we hear a lot about, you know, people, well, we've got to validate the emotion, help the kid walk through the emotion. There's nothing wrong with addressing emotions and having emotional integrity, but it's at the cost of obedience, at the cost of there being any types of consequences, boundaries, or structure. Yeah, so well, it's, also, it's also the cost of resilience. So one mm. of the foundations of gentle parenting is to name the emotion uh, uh, and to uh, affirm the emotion. And that sounds nice, maybe, in theory, but let me tell you what it looks like. So this girl was up, uh, talk about another girl now. Uh, uh, this girl's like 10 years old. So she was upset because she had understood that all the fourth graders were going to be invited to this girl's big birthday party at Six Flags. But then the invitations went out and she was not included. And, and it turns out it was not all the girls, just some of the girls. And she came home in tears. She was so upset. Everybody else got invited, and I wasn't. And mom said, oh, honey, you must feel so sad. And they both burst into tears. Okay, that's, that's, <laughs> that's gentle parenting for sure. That's affirming the emotion. But it's not best practice. Because what you've just done is you communicated to your daughter that, yes, whether or not you're invited to a party is a really big deal. And if you're not invited, uh, we should both burst into tears. That's a really bad lesson to send to your kid. I submit that uh, a wiser parent would have said something like, oh, okay, so you thought you were going to be busy a week from Saturday. Now you're free. Hey, that new bike trail they opened up, you, me, let's put it on the calendar. We're going for a bike ride. 
that I think would be a wiser parent. In other words, you're sending the message, walk it off. It's mm -hmm. not that big a deal. Look, when your kid comes home and they're upset because of something that happened at school, like they didn't get invited to a party they thought they'd be invited to, they're looking to you, they're looking to you, the parent, for guidance about is this a big deal or not? Mm -hmm. And by affirming the emotion, which is the fundamental tenet of gentle parenting, you are communicating that kid yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the world revolves around you and your yeah. friends. And, mm -hmm. and, and if you're not invited, that's just like a major catastrophe. And that's such a bad message to send. You're setting kids up to be fragile. Mm -hmm. When you affirm the emotions of a 10-year-old or a four-year-old, you need to teach them to be strong. And that doesn't come naturally. It's a virtue that has to be nurtured to be resilient to uh, not to crumple when you are disappointed. I like that focus you put on resilience. It's making me think of a story that Father Robert Spitzer wrote about in his book on happiness, where he was talking about how children are naturally narcissists. And a kid can actually believe and will believe at times that the sun's following them. You know, the sun's everywhere I go. And it's the parent who has to bring reality to the situation and say, no, the sun isn't following you. You know, you're not that wonderful. That's what the sun does. This is reality. And sometimes that means that there are hard truths to life. And I love the example you gave of the little girl not getting invited to the party. You know, you can talk about the unfairness of life. You could also refocus and redirect a kid, just like you're supposed to redirect a two-year-old who's having a tantrum, who's just focusing on what you said no about. Well, let's take them in a different direction once you said no and not just sit here and dwell on the fact that, oh, you're sad. I'm sorry you're sad that you didn't get the toy because they don't get that. Well, and you're, you're highlighting a, a key point here, which is that gentle parenting ultimately derives from a worldview that is not biblical. That is anti-biblical. I use the term Rousseauian because it really derives from uh, a worldview that goes back to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher. And that unbiblical worldview is that people are basically good. And if we find them doing bad things, it's because they were mistreated or because society is unjust. Uh, that's not the Jewish, that's not the Christian worldview. The Jewish worldview, the Christian worldview, is that people are innately flawed, uh, and that uh, there's an uh, the Hebrew word is yitzerah, an evil influence inside each of us that we must mindfully work to master. And and Genesis chapter four, uh, God says to Cain, "Sin is crouching at the door; its desire is for you, but you must master." You must master it. That's fundamental to the Jewish and the Christian worldview is that kids are not born good. They're mm -hmm. born with this evil impulse and we the must teach them to, gov to govern it mm -hmm. and to learn self-control. But the contemporary dominant worldview, by which I mean the worldview you'll find in the New York Times and National Public Radio, is very much the Rousseauian worldview that kids are basically good. So they should be in charge and mm -hmm. we shouldn't tell them what to do. We shouldn't be coercive or controlling because as long as we don't mistreat kids, they'll be, they'll be wonderful. And <laughs> that worldview is empirically wrong. It's right. not accurate. And when you uh, parent, according to a worldview that is fundamentally detached from reality, uh, bad things are going to happen.
It's interesting. I remember when I was a kid, there were certain shows we weren't allowed to watch because they were what my mom referred to as kid power shows that put the kids above the authority of the adults. And as a newer parent of two you know, young, young girls now, uh, I'm looking out and we got rid of our TV for many reasons, having to do with tech addiction, you name it, and just for us to be you know, more present and aware. But when I start thinking about what they will watch one day when they do you know, watch various shows, there is, I think, this intrinsic idea of kid power in television today that is a subliminal message, even for kids who do have parents who are more authoritative, uh, that, yeah. hey, you should still, you know, rebel against the parent. And I find yeah. that deeply disturbing that we're allowing yeah. that to be what kids consume. I've got, I've got a whole set of slides in my presentation to parents about the evils of the Disney Channel, Disney <laughs> yeah. Junior and Nickelodeon. Uh, parents, don't let your kids watch the Disney Channel, Disney Junior, or Nickelodeon. I'm not saying all TV is evil. I think Home and Garden mm -hmm. Television is fine, usually. But Disney, Disney Junior, and Nickelodeon, you got to block those channels because they portray parents as clueless idiots uh, and uh, encourage kids. You know, In my own practice, again, a mom said to me, you know, my eight-year-old son, he's he started talking back and he's so defiant and disrespectful. He's using language. I don't know where he's getting this from. His father and I never talk like that. And I said, does he have access to Disney and Disney Junior? And he said, sure. <laughs> she said, sure. And I said, lock it down. No more Disney, no more Disney Junior, no more Nickelodeon. And three weeks later, mom called me and she said, it stopped. Mm. He was learning this from the Disney mm -hmm. Channel. So the Disney Channel is a major vector of what I've come to call the culture of disrespect. The first chapter of my book, The Collapse of Parenting, is titled The Culture of Disrespect. And the point I make there now is that mainstream American television, like the Disney Channel, now teaches kids that it's cool and funny to be disrespectful right, to parents. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember they remade Disney did a show called a boy meets world and they said yes. a girl meets world. And so it's the girl parents, right. And they have the kids of the parents. And I was so excited because I loved boy meets world growing up. And then I go and watch the first couple of episodes and grant I was older. I would think I was in or out of college at the time. And as soon as I turned on, the kids are so disrespectful and the parents yep. are a joke. It's a mockery yes. of the parents and the story of the parents that were in the original show boy meets world. I turned it off. I couldn't even watch it no matter how much I loved loved those characters and i was so excited to see them continued in a certain respect in this story yeah. uh you're joining me now point. here on trending with timory joining me now is dr leonard Sachs. we're talking about what's wrong with gentle parenting i can't wait to hear all of the emails and social media posts i get over offending many parents on this topic uh, but i think it's a topic that parents we need to be open to discussing other perspectives dr leonard Sachs is a family physician he's also a phd psychologist and the author of numerous parents books one of them is The Collapse of Parenting, and I'll link to some of them on social media in the episode notes. Dr. Sachs, I want to get into a little bit of the data on this. Now, you recently wrote an article on this addressing some data and research out of Columbia University having to do with parenting mm -hmm. styles and how shockingly you're finding this is yeah. uh, a left versus right political conversation right now as well. Can you share a little bit about this? Sure. So again, I'm a family doctor. I've been a family doctor for 34 years. And for most of my career, politics had nothing to do with parenting. Uh, that's certainly been my experience. For, for most of that time, you would find uh, left-of-center parents who were uh, 
permissive and left of center parents who were authoritative, you'd find right of center parents who were permissive and right of center parents who were authoritative. But in recent years, uh, as we've seen this emergence of this new gentle parenting, hyper-permissive parenting, every one of those parents is left of center, aggressively less left of center. So we have this new research that was just published from Columbia and two other studies alongside it that uh, report the same finding, which is that left of center kids are now much more likely to be depressed than right of center kids. So, you know, I've been reading this literature for 30 years and it's a very robust finding that girls tend to be more depressed than boys. Teenage girls tend to be more depressed than boys. And that, that's still true today, mm -hmm. has been true for a long time. But what's remarkable about the new research is that the effect of political alignment is so big that left of center boys are now substantially more depressed than right wow. of center girls. Uh, and this has just happened in the last few years. This was not a thing 15 years ago, barely a thing 10 years ago, but now it's a big, a big deal that left of center kids are now more depressed than right of center kids by a wide margin to the extent that left of center boys are now more depressed than right of center girls. Mm -hmm. And again, the various pundits have weighed in on this, trying to explain this in terms of, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I think they're <laughs> missing the point. Right. I think the hyper permissive parenting that is now increasingly common among left of center parents which is absolutely not the case 10 years ago, I think it's playing a big role. Now, I want to touch on what the solution is here, because you're seeing this fall of the gentle parenting style. Even parents I really love, uh, human beings I love, and I think, you know, I want to say no better. I see them engaging in this gentle parenting. You know, I can think of instances where kids are violent toward their parents and parents do nothing, and I am just horrified watching the disrespect that's allowed toward my friends, right, toward my peers uh, with regard to their parents. I don't think they'd ever let, you know, their peers treat them that way or a parent treat them that way. Why would they allow a child to do so? So what's the solution? What's the right way to parent? I know you have a whole book on it, a number of books on yeah. this. So we're going to promote that book because I highly recommend picking his book up on the collapse of parenting. But what are some key tips and takeaways here? Sure. So you're absolutely right that the focus of my book, The Class of Parenting, is on giving an evidence-based answer to that question. But very briefly, you don't want to be too hard. You don't want to be too soft. You want to be just right. So what does that mean? The too hard parent is too strict, is spanking, is uh, unloving. The too soft parenting is letting the kid make all the calls her body, her choice. The just right parent is in between setting rules, enforcing rules, explaining the rules, but always in a context of love and caring. And how do you do that? It's often not that easy, actually. It's not as easy as it might sound. And again, that's why uh, it takes a book to go through all the different uh, perspectives on that. But that would be my short answer to your question. Yeah. And I appreciate that you say it's not easy because I think there are times where sometimes you realize you came down too heavy handed and 
you know, you, you have to self-correct, right? You have to work through it. You know, two, I have a two-year-old and there can be very challenging days out of nowhere and then weeks of bliss. It's very, very erratic in how uh, this can occur at times. And I think that, that finding that just right balance is intentional. And I think this is where, you know, the perspective of faith and culpability and responsibility, structure, boundaries, and consequences are so important. I know you talk about this in your book, The Collapse of Parenting. We highly recommend this book along with others written by Dr. Leonard Sachs, a family physician and PhD psychologist. We'll be right back with Dr. Sachs during our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. We're going to discuss why young men are unmotivated today. Also, I'll cover why a man is on the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated. And you may have heard the debate over the Marine Daniel Penny who used a chokehold to protect passengers on a subway. Uh, lots of conversations stirring over this conversation. We'll be right back here during our weekly Gentleman's Hour on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. We're going to talk about former U.S. Marine Daniel Penny and the charges he's facing of manslaughter for helping to protect passengers on a subway. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. The number is 888-914-9149. We'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. Also, why is a man in a swimsuit on the cover of Sports Illustrated? I have something to say about that. Catholic take here on Trending. Joining me today on Trending is Dr. Leonard Sachs. He is a family physician and a PhD psychologist. He's the author of countless parenting books, two of which include Boys Adrift and The Collapse of Parenting. We're posting a link on social media for you to pick up these books. Dr. Sachs, I know we have some questions coming in, and then I want to talk about why young men are struggling with motivation today. Jessica's on the line from Orange County, California. Jessica, what's your question today for Dr. Sachs? Yeah, I want to ask him, what does he think about um, putting kids on time out? Do we put them on time out, or do we talk to them about it, or put them on time out to let them think of what they've done? Great question, Dr. Okay. Sachs. Okay, so we actually have a lot of research on that. And timeout is, uh, in most cases, a good choice uh, for kids uh, three, four, five, six years of age. And the rule is the timeout should be roughly the age of the kid in years. So for a three-year-old, it's a three-minute timeout. A six-year-old, it's a six-minute timeout. And that's a very reasonable, uh, moderate uh, punishment. But yeah, if a kid uh, slaps you or if a kid spits or kicks, there needs to be an immediate response that is appropriate. Uh, And a timeout is an appropriate immediate response for that kind of unacceptable behavior. How would you structure a timeout? Is there a specific place? Is it a nose on the wall? Can they wiggle? What's your opinion on navigating the timeout itself? Well, if you're at home, I think it's simplest just to say, uh, uh, go to your room and uh, I will let you know when you can come out. And there should be no screens in the room. Uh, There should never be screens in the room. No video game console in the room. 
no phones in the room, no iPad in the room. That's not just my recommendation. Those are the official guidelines of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and there's a good reason for them. Uh, the bedroom is for sleeping, uh, and when there are screens in the bedroom, it makes it harder for kids to get to sleep and harder to stay asleep, even if the screen is turned off, it turns out. Great question. I want to dive into what's happening with young men today. Uh, we're seeing across the board military recruits are down. In fact, I was just looking at data yesterday of the last fiscal year, the Army missed recruiting goals by over 15,000. That's 25% of their recruiting goal. The Air Force actually already announced that they likely won't meet recruiting goals for 2023. I know that in and of itself is a separate topic addressing the current state of our military. However, we're seeing this across the board with men with a great resignation, even in missionary work. There's far more females interested and willing uh, to be involved in various areas that were even uh, more driven by men in the past. Why do you think young men are so unmotivated today, Dr. Sachs? Okay, well, I do want to emphasize the, your comment that the uh, collapse in recruitment, I think, is a very different topic. It has to do with the uh, radical left shift among the yes. leadership uh, and the way that the armed forces are now uh, encouraging and promoting uh, transgender and uh, yes. a lot of this very woke left of center stuff. I think that's really a very, very different topic. The focus of my book, Boys Adrift, uh, is on the growing gender gap in achievement and motivation, uh, which I, of course, I begin the book by documenting what I'm talking about. So you look at who's earning good marks at school, who's getting A's, who's graduating from high school, who's graduating with honors, uh, who's going to university, who's graduating from university. You look at valedictorians across the United States, you find that, uh, uh, Young women now outnumber young men among valedictorians in the United States by three to one. And again, I'm old enough to remember when it was the other way around. You know, I attended public mm -hmm. schools in Ohio, K-12. And I remember our high school honors uh, assembly when I was a senior. Uh, all the kids getting honors were up on the stage. It was all boys. The winner of the honor in English was a boy. The winner of the poetry prize was a boy. The editor of the school newspaper was a boy. The editor of the yearbook was a boy president of the student council of government was a boy. They were all boys. Now they're all girls. Now look, it's great that there are more girls up on the stage, but why couldn't their brothers keep up with them? Why didn't it level off around 50-50? Why are boys now greatly underrepresented? So for example, when you look at that data on the valedictorians, girls outnumber boys by three to one nationwide among high school valedictorians. Who are the boys? They're mostly East Asian and South Asian boys white, black, and Latino boys now overwhelmingly think it's uncool to work hard to get a good mark. I call it Hermione Granger syndrome. The girls are waving their hands to answer the questions, and the boys are sitting silently. I have visited over 460 schools over the last 22 years, and I've seen this firsthand. And it's true whether you're affluent or low income, whether you're Colorado, Texas, or California, whether you're Biden or Trump, whether you're black or white, this phenomenon of boys adrift is a, actually it's more than a nationwide phenomenon. I've spoken on this topic in Canada using Canadian data, in England using British mm -hmm. data, in Mexico using Mexican data. Um, so uh, it is indeed a uh, international 
phenomenon. So what's going on? What is driving this? Well, the, the subtitle of my book is The Five Factors Driving the Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men. And uh, I can do that as a half-day workshop or a full-day workshop, but I'll just, I'll just highlight for your listeners one factor that I encourage parents to take control of. That's very easy to take control of. You just need to understand what, what's at stake, and that is video games. Mm -hmm. A growing proportion of American boys care more about the video games than they do about doing well in school. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is that schools have become unfriendly to boys, which is a different topic. But parents, you got to limit, govern, and guide how much time your son is spending on video games and what video games he is playing. Where you're, uh, he should not be playing a game where you get rewarded for killing police officers or recording rewarded for killing unarmed civilians like Grand Theft Auto. And that's because the research shows that when kids play those games, over time they become less honest, less patient, and more selfish. We now have very good research on this point, longitudinal cohort studies where you follow kids over years what kind of games are they playing and what are the consequences? Controlling for race, ethnicity, household income, family composition, parental involvement, because all those things matter. But parents, you got to be in charge of what video games your son is playing. I was just looking at international data research on empathy and how kids who are less empathetic are more apt to look at pornography and kids, specifically boys, who are looking at pornography are also even more or less empathetic. And this whole issue of empathy, I think, ties into the video game scenario as well, is that it's completely destroying empathy. It's destroying the reality of seeing that person as valuable in front of themselves, but also devaluing themselves and the contribution to another person as well. Well, you mentioned pornography, which is another topic that I addressed. <laughs> Please go some ahead. Because it's important. So again, I'm a family doctor. Mom confronts her son one day. She's upset. She says, you know, what's the story here? You roll out of bed late every day. You work a few hours a week at the coffee shop. You're 28 years old. You don't have a real job. You, you, don't, you, you don't even have a girlfriend. And he laughed. He said, well, I used to have a girlfriend. Then she found out I only work a few hours a week at Starbucks. She dumped me. She insisted he come see me. He was okay with that. So um, I asked him about his girlfriend. He said, yeah, she was fat. She wanted me to take her places, do stuff. $19.95 a month. I said, I said wait, I, I don't understand. What's $19.95 a month? And he mentioned a porn site. And I said, okay, so pornography, that's, those aren't women. Those are, are pictures, pixels on a computer screen. Wouldn't you rather be intimate with an actual woman? And he said, <laughs> no. Um, so this is a growing issue for all of human civilization, really, of which we have any record. Men have been motivated to achieve, in significant part, in order to impress the girls, right. in order to say to a young woman, hey, I'm accomplished. I can be a good provider. Marry me, uh, and, and I'll, I'll make a good home for you. Uh, there's competition for that. But, but now, uh, that we're, we've removed that because we now have boys who will openly, openly say that they prefer pornography. Look, I've talked to deans of students at colleges across the United States, 
and they tell me how the college social life is drying up. One dean was telling me, we've had a traditional spring dance here for the last 110 years. We're canceling it because none of the boys show up. They'd rather stay in their dorm rooms and look at porn. Uh, this is a big change. So uh, John Mayer is a big pop star mm -hmm. and a cover story in Rolling, Rolling Stone magazine. He's on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And for the cover story, the reporter says, hey, you know, is there anything you'd like your fans to know about you that maybe they don't already know? He said, yeah, I'm the new generation of masturbator. And the reporter said, said that? oh, um, what, what, um, what does that mean? He said, well, old school guys would rather have sex with actual women, but not me. I prefer pornography. And they're conducting the interview in his locked trailer after one of his performances. And the reporter says, you know, there's, you said you got into music because you wanted to impress girls. You, that's what you said. And there's easily 30 young women standing outside this trailer right now. Who would love to meet you? That's why they're there. Don't you want to just take a look? He said, no, please keep the door locked. And the reporter said, why? Why do you prefer pornography? And he said, I've, I've, I've got it memorized because I've given this talk many times on the evils of pornography. He said, because I'm more comfortable in my imagination than I am in actual human discovery. Wow. And here's a young man who's handsome, who's funny, who's famous, who's wealthy, uh, who's had lots of girlfriends like uh, uh, Jennifer Simpson and, and Taylor Swift. Uh, and some of them were quite annoyed by his comments. Um, but this is the new normal. This is the culture in which boys are growing up. So I was in, I was in a school speaking at the invitation of the school leadership, speaking to high school boys about this topic. This is a boys' school. And I said, all right, um, how many guys have at least 100, uh, excuse me, how many of you guys have at least 1,000 porn photos or videos on your device? So it's about 400 boys in the room, about 100 in each grade, 9 through 12. And almost all of them raised their hand. I said, okay, how many of you do not have any porn photos or videos on any device? So in a room of 400 kids, three boys raised their hand. So I said, would any of you three be willing to share with your peers why you don't have any porn? And one boy says, well, I'm born again. I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and he wouldn't let me do that. Okay, and I look at the other two boys who are sitting together. And I call on them, and they say, well, we're, we're Mormon. We're not allowed. So I don't actually believe the other 400 boys. I don't believe that every one of these boys has 1,000 porn photos or videos. But that's become the new normal, mm. that, that boys will raise their hand, because that's what normal boys do now. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, you better have an excuse for why you don't. That's the extent to which the popular culture has changed. You know, I, when I was growing up, there was pornography, or so I have been told by reliable sources. But in my day, boys did not boast about their collection of pornography. Pornography was for losers. Pornography was for people who couldn't get the real thing. Even when Not I was a child, that was the case. I remember, yeah. you know, we still yeah. had video stores when I was a kid. Yeah. And it, that was the kind of shameful place that some people would go to in the back of the curtain part of the video store. You know, it was yeah, looked that, down upon even then. Yeah, that is over. Mm -hmm. uh, you now have boys in Carline sharing uh, pornography with other boys. And again, that's why the school leaders will sometimes invite me to come and speak 
to the students to explain to them why this is unhealthy, Mm -hmm. unwise, and unmanly. And the point I make to the boys is that pornography degrades not only the woman who's depicted, but the man who consumes it. And I'm telling you, we have a very lively conversation because the boys have never heard this before. They live in the world of John Mayer, Bruno Mars, Drake, where, yeah, of course, everyone looks at porn. And the suggestion I'm making, which is the no, a good man does not look at porn, uh, is utterly new, even at Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's everywhere. It's not, uh, it's in all faith denominations. We are seeing that kids have normalized this. And so when I'm hearing you're talking about what's happening to lead men to be unmotivated, you're talking about pornography and video games. But a lot of that, I think, behind that is expectations. We've lowered our expectations of our young men today. Would you agree with that? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I think that. Uh, the lowered expectations are a result and not a cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that what's happened at school is more fundamental. Schools have become unfriendly to boys. And that's mm-hmm. a, a yes. fundamental change that is uh, driving what's going on. Let me explain what I mean by unfriendly to boys. So uh, a 10th grade English uh, assignment at a, a high school I visited, write a story about anything you want. So this boy chose to write mm-hmm. about the Battle of Stalingrad, January 1942, from the perspective of a Russian soldier. And he did a, did a lot of research to get all the details right. He's got a Russian soldier on patrol when the soldier's ambushed by a German who's trying to stab him with a knife so as to make no noise. And the Russian soldier fires his rifle at point-blank range into the face of the German soldier. And then describes what happens when you fire your rifle at point-blank range in another man's face. What happens is that the head explodes, and a piece of brain goes this way, and a piece of eyeball goes this way, and a piece of chin with tooth still attached goes this way. This boy was suspended from his high school, and the parents were told he would not be allowed to return until the parents obtained an evaluation by a licensed professional Mm. who would have to write a letter to the school and the district assuring the school and the district that the boy posed no imminent danger to himself or to others. And when the parents shared that story with me, it really cut a chord with me personally because I wrote a similar story. Back when I was a high school senior, our lead teacher for English nominated me and three other students to participate in a competition sponsored by NCTE, National Council of Teachers of English. We were shown into a a classroom, each given a blue book. We were told to write a story. I wrote a story about East German refugees escaping to West Germany. And the uh, uh, one of them has almost reached the, the West German border, crossing the minefield when he steps on a mine, which blows off his left leg to the hip and his right leg to the knee. So he now has no legs. He's crawling west the last few feet. The East German guards have heard the explosion. They've turned the searchlights on him. They're shooting at him, narrowly missing. He reaches the border. The West German guards to take him to hospital. And in that moment, he dies. The end. My own mom died in September 2008. Going through her papers after her death, I found that she had sent the certificate sent to our home by the NCTE, awarding me their highest honor in creative writing. Boys have always written about traumatic amputation and violent death. 40 years ago, it could get you a prize, as it did for me. Mm -hmm. Today, it gets you a discipline referral. Mm -hmm. That is part of what I mean 
when I say the school yeah. has become unfriendly to boys. Right. And the it's a zero tolerance boys, policy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was at another school and uh, I'd worked out with the principal the agenda and I'm going to start the day in the principal's office. Uh, I'm sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in the front office at you know, like 10, 10 past 8 in the morning waiting for the principal. And as I'm waiting there, one kid comes in, another kid comes in, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine kids walk in over the next few minutes. All sent down. They all got in trouble. All boys. These are first, second, third graders. So I'm pretty good at striking up conversation with seven-year-olds. So I say, what are you guys doing here? We got in trouble. What's you get in trouble for? Jimmy and me were pointing fingers at each other saying, bang, bang, you're dead. Brett and me were throwing snowballs outside on the, uh, on the playground. The teacher asked us to draw whatever you want. And I drew a gun. And I got sent down here. Mm-hmm. So I said, to the kids, what, do you, what do you think of school? Hate school. School's mm-hmm. stupid. Yep. School's, yep. school's for girls. Mm-hmm. These kids have formed negative attitudes towards school by the time they're seven years old. And we have good research showing that those negative attitudes once formed are global, stable, and non-contingent, which is a fancy way of saying they're not going to change. Wow. And uh, that's so once, demotivating them in education and career everywhere. So how do we get it back? You know, How do we re-motivate people who have wounds? I mean, legitimate wounds from uh, this culture that has had zero tolerance of them and essentially saying anything you think about as a young boy is bad and that's taken into adulthood. Yeah, so you got to find a school that is not unfriendly to boys. There are many of them. I've visited a great many of them. Um, sometimes you can work with the school to make a change, but increasingly in the public schools, that's not happening. I'm, I'm, I, when you go to the public schools now, they say, well, boy and girl, those are just uh, symbols uh, created by the heteronormative patriarchy uh, to, to keep people down. Um, and they don't want to talk about boys as a category. Uh, but there are good schools out there uh, that uh, are boy-friendly. And if you can't find one in your neighborhood, then you may have to move. And, and I'm not telling you to do anything I didn't do. My wife and I moved from Montgomery County, Maryland, to Chester County, Pennsylvania, because we were not happy with the schools uh, available to us. So, yeah, you got to find a school that's friendly to boys. Briefly, what about the adult men who are out there? They're unmotivated. They just heard what you said about these stories in school. Maybe they said, hey, I got in trouble for talking about violence, for engaging in a a baseball game or, sorry, a snowball fight. What would you say to those men who need to maybe work through some problems that have led to them being unmotivated as adults now? Well, at the risk of sounding commercial, I would ask them to uh, read my book, Boys Adrift, or listen to the audio book, because, you know, the first half of the book is laying out how this happened, what are the five factors, and so the second half of the book is, what do you do about it? And, mm-hmm. and parents have told me about it. One mom told me her own son read the book and then took a baseball bat, put on goggles, and destroyed his Xbox, smashed it to pieces <laughs> with a bat. So, yeah, boys can change. Don't give up. Mm, Uh, If they understand what's at stake, they can change. They can become better men. That's Dr. Leonard Sachs. He is a family physician as well as a PhD psychologist. We post a link to his books. You can find him at leonardsachs.com. That's L-E-O-N-A-R-D-S-A-X.com where you can find all of his books. We posted that in the episode notes as well as on social media. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sachs. 
Coming up, why is a man in a swimsuit on the cover of Sports Illustrated? And thoughts on the United States Marine, Daniel Penny. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. My husband asked what I'm going to be talking about on the show today, and I was rattling off the different topics, and I said, oh yeah, and why on earth is a man in a swimsuit on the cover of Sports Illustrated? To which he said, wait, you're not going to say that for real, are you? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, ooh, people are going to be upset. You better watch out. Be careful. Are you sure you want to say that? Yes. Why is a man in a swimsuit on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, why are women in swimsuits on the cover of Sports Illustrated to begin with? That's a whole other topic. You know, but get diving into this topic, Kim Petra is a biological man who is dressed up as a woman who has been heavily photoshopped and hacked away at by anyone from people willing to give him cross-sex hormones to plastic reconstructive surgery to try and make things appear as they are not. And here's the bottom line. Why is a man in a swimsuit on the cover of Sports Illustrated? And better yet, here's the other question. Why would a man still be attracted to a man being on the cover of Sports Illustrated? What if you did not know that was a man on the cover of Sports Illustrated and suddenly you go, whoa, I didn't realize that was a man. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Maybe I'm concerned about my sexuality because I thought that was a woman. It's confusing. We've said for years that sex sells. You say it in advertising and marketing. But here's another thing that sells. Novelty. The brain seeks out what is new and different. This is just a part of how our brain functions. Dopamine is part of the driving factor of this because when we see more new and different things, we get a greater hit of that chemical cocktail, including dopamine. This is in part what leads to the development of odd fetishes. Enough said because the brain seeks out what is novel. So this is why certain things need to occur that we ourselves do in a culture that we have overly sought out novelty or where media, technology companies, video companies have intentionally done things. That is, they've hired people to help them with getting more eyeballs on the content they produce. This is a stunt to get more people to pick up Sports Illustrated. Yes, I think it's a bad stunt. I think a lot of men won't pick it up, but I also think it's also a publicity stunt as well because novelty sells. People are drawn to what is novel. And when we are, eyes are drawn to what is novel, what is interesting, or even being shocked by the fact for a man, can I be attracted to this man who's dressed up as a woman? It, It would be startling. It would be confusing. But part of that is dopamine. Your brain is literally firing with these neuroreceptors, these pleasure responses in the brain. I actually did a whole episode where we talked about doing dopamine detox to help make yourself more resilient to the draw of dopamine via pornography, via things such as a man being on the cover of Sports Illustrated in a swimsuit. All of these things are important that we're discussing because when you see this and you're confused by it, maybe you're attracted to it and you don't understand why. Well, it's because novelty sells. What is new, what is different, what seems like exciting is tricking the brain. It's a brain hack by advertisers and marketers. Now, 
Bud Light learned their lesson. They made a bad choice. I'll be interested to see what the fallout is with the whole Sports Illustrated having a man on the cover uh, when it's really a woman. And actually, I just saw another cover of a magazine earlier in the week where a man who says he's a woman is dressed up as a woman. But let me just say, he hasn't taken care of any of his chest hair, facial hair, arm hair. And it's a legitimate man on the cover of this woman's magazine. I can't remember which one it was. I'm just going, I don't want to look at that. And I don't know who else does. And I don't think anyone is buying that magazine because it was repulsive. Beauty sells. And there are certain things that occur that people just don't want to see. Hey, my husband's Lebanese. I get it. Hair is there. But that's not what you want to see on the front of a woman's beauty magazine. Okay, so here's the deal. We are called as human beings to exercise self-control. We know that novelty sells, that the brain seeks out what is novel, different, new, exciting, and stimulating. That means we need to take back control doing a dopamine detox. I'm posting a link in the episode notes as well as on social media. But also we need to exercise self-control and practice the virtues, prudence and choices, generosity with thought towards others, temperance of appetites, modesty in speech, thought and dress. Think about these things. Find ways to practice these virtues. Pray for these virtues to be given to you as gifts from the Holy Spirit. We're about to celebrate the great feast day of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Pray that the Holy Spirit equips you to be resilient to the culture where, yes, Sports Illustrated is just something we shouldn't be looking at to begin with, but to be resilient when there's maybe this crisis of, why am I attracted to this? Why is that still beautiful on that cover when a man is dressed up as a woman? Because we have the ability to engage in brain hacks with makeup, Photoshop, novelty, and literally hacking away to human person's body when they say that there's something other than the biological reality of what they are. This trans craze that we're living in, this trans craze culture, I really do believe in many ways, isn't just the brain seeking out what is novel, but it's people trying to feel something in an emotion-driven culture. This radically goes against how God created us. God created us with intellect and free will. He made us in his image and his likeness. That means that we can come to know something, freely choose it, and that we are created for love because God is a perfection of love. God is love itself. That is an attribute of God. We're not robots where we're supposed to just say, oh, that's interesting. Let me chase that. That's interesting. Let me chase that. We're not an animal who should be surviving on an animal-like instinct. We're not cows and animals and bulls in heat seeking out the cow. I mean, this is the reality that I think we have to say that God created us with intrinsic value, with self-control, the ability to be prudent, generous, temperate, to even engage in a dopamine detox when we say, you know what? Novelty is pulling me in all these directions from pornography to confusion about seeing a man on the front of Sports Illustrated cover and being interested in that. Yet you might argue, I don't swing that way. But this is what's happening with these brain hacks that the culture, the media, and marketing is engaging in. And we need to respond as Catholics with faith and virtue. Coming up tomorrow on Trending, I'm going to discuss virtue and vice in marriage, how to work through that. And Friday, we're going to talk about the U.S. Marine Daniel Penny and the whole story that's sweeping the nation over protection and much more.